Established on July 1, 1915 in northern New Mexico, the Santa Fe National Forest encompasses 1.5 million acres of beautiful and dangerous terrain. In the summer, temperatures averagely reach into the mid-80s by midday, making this a summertime destination for all who appreciate the outdoors. Rainbow and cutthroat trout attract fishing enthusiasts to the park's 620 miles of streams and lakes. Bighorn sheep, mule deer, elk, black bear, and mountain lions are all natural residents of the park's flourishing forests. But as we've learned before, the national park system has a darker side. One that's shrouded in mystery, death, and strange occurrences that defy what we know about the world we call home. There are over 13,000 open missing person claims in the national park system, and over 250 of those come from Santa Fe National Park. Some of these cases include stories that just don't seem to make sense without the involvement of the unnatural, supernatural, or unknown. And those are the stories that we will explore on today's episode. National Park Mysteries Part 4, Santa Fe. Welcome back to Infinite Rabbit Hole. Welcome back to Infinite Rabbit Hole, everybody. I am Jeremy. I'm your host. And today I'm with Jake and CJ, the two polar opposite people on the Infinite Rabbit Hole podcast. Jake, how you doing, man? Doing well, Jeremy. Good to be here. Good. CJ, what's going on, dude? How you been? Um, Hot, sweaty, a little older and a little grayer every day. Yeah. And <laughs> sexier. Hey, Don't forget that. Silver yeah. Fox. Get it, girl. Uh. <laughs> all right so we are back on the the road of the missing 411 talking about our national park mysteries today we're going to be focusing in on the santa fe national park in northern new mexico there's some strange stuff that happens here guys uh you guys got to got a good chance to take some get some research done right oh yeah yes so before we actually get into the the meat of this episode, we're going to go ahead and scratch the surface. And let's start with uh, with Jake today. Jake, what do you got for us? All right. So as always, you guys can check us out on Patreon. We have uploaded all of our episodes onto Patreon. Uh, our bottom tier starts at $2. We really would appreciate the support so we can do things like uh, one day taking trips to conventions meeting people face to face maybe getting some paid guests on some bigger names some uh with some crazier stories something that would help us along the way um if you like what we do if you like the content please uh consider getting on our patreon for less than the price of a cup of coffee once a month you can uh listen to all of our bottom of the whole episodes everything in in season three we've been throwing out extra content at the bottom of the episodes so our thoughts our opinions about what we've been talking about we kind of do deep dives and it's some really interesting stuff and if you really want to get into it and learn more about us and and what we think about you know the the topics we talk about you can find that at the bottom of the hole in our our patreon also we really like to get feedback in the form of your voice and you actually talking to us and so the one way you can do that is by leaving us a voicemail. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash infinite rabbit hole, you can leave us a voicemail and we will play it on our next available episode. We did one already and we'd love to have more, even if it's not great, even if it's some hate mail, we will play it and then CJ might talk some crap about it. But we <laughs> would love that that feedback from you. You can also hit us up on YouTube where you can leave a comment, a like, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, please feel free to hit us up. Yeah. If you guys want to reach out to us on the social medias, uh, go to Twitter at InfiniteRHPod, and the Instagram is also InfiniteRHPod. 
Uh, you can reach out to us on Facebook at Infinite Rabbit Hole and join the little group, join the page, you know, interact with us, send us messages. We'll reply. We like interacting. And especially if you have like stories or something of your own that you'd like featured on the show, uh, please submit it and uh, we might actually read it off uh, or maybe invite you onto the show yourself to come tell it personally. Hell yeah, absolutely. And one more thing that I just kind of want to start doing as part of this uh, this upkeep in the beginning of every episode, I just want to do a quick uh, recap of the last episode. And the last episode we did was a two-part series on the the hidden messages in music. Uh, we covered songs from the Flowbots, Rage Against the Machine, A Perfect Circle, and um, My Chemical Romance. There was some really good stuff. A lot of it was government-based. Uh, hidden messages and uh, different ways that you can kind of uh, you learn to listen to, not just listen to music but actually hear it thank you I'm sorry I'm having a brain fart uh, but yeah so different ways that you can interpret music you know uh, like for a good example is Jake brought uh, the song pet from a perfect circle to to our attention and we all like heard a different song when we listened to it and we all kind of took it and saw it through our own eyes, which I thought was really cool. So please, if you guys haven't had a chance yet to listen to those two episodes, it was a two-parter. Please take a second. They're really good. Uh, my personal favorite out of the whole thing was Jake's at the end. So I think if anything, you guys need to go listen to that one at least. Now that we got that out of the way, let's dive into the new episode. So National Park Mysteries Part 4. I could, we are on Part 4 of this already, guys. Jeez. It's my first They're... one being on it. <laughs> I, that's crazy. This uh, is my second like one. They like it though. They like it. National Park Mysteries. Good stuff. Well, they, they like death. <laughs> they, they're, they're just a whole bunch of darkness. Yeah, they like death. They like disturbing stuff. We found that out with uh with the shadow episode. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, I think they like me. Oh, I think they like me. All right, we're done. The early two nope. thousands. They, yeah. they just like death. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe the fact that true crime is the dominating podcast genre in the entire world might have something to do with it. Yeah, you know, I've been kind of thinking about dabbling in My that. My wife ourselves. listens to that. I will abandon our friendship. <laughs> I won't. No, no, I won't. no, 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 no. I've, I've, I've been talking more a lot along the lines of like serial killers and cult leaders and stuff like that. Like where we can dive into the psychology of them and stuff. You know my boy Mike that I had on Mystery Stone? Yeah. He was a cult leader. Really? Dead ass. He was a cult leader. Deceased really? butt cheeks. Cult leader. Yeah. His cult was called Kentucky Pluto, or KP for short. And they were a big deal when we were kids. They actually went international, like across the ocean. Really? Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, maybe we'll have Mike back on. He <laughs> wants to talk about KP in the worst way on a podcast, like cool. uh, as an advertisement for joining. No, no, he doesn't. He doesn't <laughs> operate. He doesn't operate it anymore. But he does have a pretty wicked tattoo of their logo and stuff on his arm. Nice. Huh. Anyways, moving on, <laughs> so we're not getting too too caught up in that rabbit hole. Um, let's talk about missing four one. All right. Right. So right. just as a, as kind of like a recap into what Missing 401 is, in case anybody is listening to this for the first time or one of these National Park Mysteries episodes for the first time, Missing 401 is the phenomenon that there are a plethora of missing people and sh strange cases that occur in the national park system across, the nor across North America and in uh, the United States and Canada. Um, a, a man by the name of David Pilates, who is an ex-police officer, actually brings the whole thing to the the forefront and kind of opens the eyes of everybody into this serious thing that is happening. Uh, why is it serious? Why are these missing people so mysterious and what makes it so crazy and weird? Well, one, the government doesn't keep track of missing people in the national park system, right? So that's like the, the first red flag is like, why? Well, if you want to hear our, our thoughts and opinions on it, please go listen to the first three episodes. I'm not going to sit here and beat a dead horse. Uh, there's uh, a lot of really good opinions on the first three episodes, two of them in, in season one and one of them in season two. Um, so I, I can't talk about, about them they, enough. They've they're, beaten they're... that horse back to life by now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we're not going to continue doing that. So please check out those episodes. They're uh, 
National Park Mysteries Part 1 is our by far our best performing episode. Uh, I've gotten a lot of really good feedback from it. So if you haven't had the chance yet, go check it out. But just to kind of recap uh, some of the things, right, about Missing 411, we're going to talk about the profile points. So Mr. Polites, he kind of points out these, mm, these points of uh, exclamation, I guess you can say, right? Uh, points of interest that he looks at when he's determining whether or not a case is a missing 401 case. So he's looking for as many of these profile points as possible in order to determine that the case is, in fact, something that he should be paying attention to and bring to the forefront. So the first one is the point of separation. Is there a point when the victim separates from the party? Okay. Um, the time of disappearance. Most common time of day of disappearance is mid to late hours. So a lot of these happen in mid to late hours. Boulder fields is another one. Victims commonly go missing in granite or rock fields uh, near water. Victims commonly go missing near bodies of water. A weather event. Now, a weather event normally either takes place during the time of disappearance or immediately after and sometimes during the search. Uh, the person that went missing either has a known or unknown disability or illness. Um, one of the weirder things is that canines can't track this missing person. Another one point that is also kind of weird is that sometimes when these, these people are found, whether they are deceased or not, they're found in an area that has already been searched by a search party. Uh, a lot of times the, the body or the, the person that has been covered is missing clothing. Coroners cannot come up with a, a cause of death. And whether or not the missing person actually went missing in what David Pilates calls a geographical cluster, meaning like we're talking about the Santa Fe cluster today. What does that mean? It doesn't necessarily mean that the disappearances happened inside of the Santa Fe National Forest. It means that it happened in the cluster, the National Forest and the immediate area around it. Uh, which we'll get into here very shortly as we talk about Picos or Picos or whatever it is. I think it's Picos, right? Um, Pika! <laughs> and then there's four. Oh, so just to make that clear, they don't need to have all of those, but he tries to get it so that most of those or as many of those points as possible are, are hit to determine whether or not the case is, is considered a missing 411 case. Um, four factors that will immediately exclude a case from being investigated as a missing 401 case are uh, serious mental illness, uh, voluntary disappearance, such as suicide, criminal activity, and signs of an animal attack. So if there's any of those where there's clearly no mystery, okay, this person was either mentally ill, wandered off, hurt themselves, or did something uh, somebody else wouldn't do. They went into the woods and killed themselves. Uh, this is something that they were being a criminal or if they were the victim of an animal attack. They will not investigate any of these. There are still thousands and thousands of missing person cases that are still unsolved. Um, and many of those fall into the category of the missing 411. To be clear, these will only exclude a case if there are clear signs of any of those conditions. All right, guys. So. Do we? Does anybody have anything to put out before we get going? Yes. What do you got, man? Okay. So before we really get into this, uh, I do have a theory about these cases for this area in specific, and I'm going to play a game called Make Jake Make Jake Believe CJ, because uh, <laughs> I've been playing this game for a long time and I've been losing really, really bad. But uh, I, I think I might actually get them today. I think I might actually get them today because we are not going to talk about the metaphysical. Ooh. Oh, snap. He's going to talk about real life today. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, also, fuck you. Um, <laughs> in fantasy make-believe land. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it's going to be good. However, you will not hear this theory in this episode. You will have to wait for part two. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, take that, listeners. So if you wanna if you wanna if you wanna make Jake believe with CJ, stick around for part two. 
That's right. Mm. All right. Jake, you got anything to put out? No, I'm ready to believe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tie into uh, Phil's ep- Phil show there. Ready to believe you. Let me get my uh, Raptor mask out. You. <laughs> All right. So first thing I want to talk about is Picos. Before we get started into the missing person cases of this area, we need to talk about a small town in New Mexico called Picos and its surrounding areas. Just south of Santa Fe, Picos is settled on the banks of the Picos River, hence the name. It is a very popular area for outdoorsmen due to its success for hunters and fishermen, but it is also known for a plethora of disappearances. Enough so that it has earned the nickname the Picos Triangle. As a run on the name of the Bermuda Triangle, of course, right? We all know that. The area has had stories of haunted roads, UFO sightings and abductions, Bigfoot and other unknown creatures, disappearances, and is the epicenter of a lot of local Native American lore that tell tales of shape-shifting demons, one known as El Viveron. You have giant snakes and dangerous shadows. Early Europeans told stories of strange lights and people simply vanishing into thin air. Many people that visit the area within the Picos Triangle now tell stories of their encounters with lights that dance in woods at night, bright flashes that originate from nowhere, and creatures that stalk them out of the forests. So, does anybody here have anything to add or comment on in regards to the Picos Triangle? It's hot all the time. Heat lightning. I actually, it's not hot all the time. It's hot all the time. (laughs) We live in the north. That shit is hot all the time. (laughs) Well, actually, the northern part of New Mexico is very mountainous. Like when you're talking about Santa Fe, it's it's not like the dead. It's not like Phoenix. You know, it's not like uh, like Phoenix, Arizona. It's a. it's very mountain. You know what? Just, just, just random, random thing uh, from searching around for cryptids in the United States. I came across something really interesting. Do you know what likes to live in the mountaintops across the United States? Goats, wolverines. Huh. Ooh, I'm dead serious. There's about a thousand wolverines in the United States. Just in the wild, twenty of them in Washington State. They like the snow. I yeah. thought them shits were only in Australia. <laughs> What you didn't know they were in America? Really? No. Yes, that, that yeah, would dude. completely like that wouldn't make sense to Napoleon Dynamite if he was hunting wolverines with his uncle in Alaska. If there weren't any in Alaska, <laughs> I've seen. Duh. I've never watched Napoleon Dynamite all the way through. Oh I've, my goodness! I've seen about twenty minutes of that movie, and I went, "This is fucking dumb," and I turned it off. Well, wolverines in Alaska. I like when he's trying to feed the casserole to Tina. That's yeah. my favorite. Eat your Listen, you know, I'm glad you guys knew Wolverines <laughs> were in America. I, in fact, did not. And I was like, oh, my jaw hit the floor. Yeah. Wolverines are nasty. You want? <laughs> you know what else is in the mountains in North America? Sasquatch. Oh, yeah. Sasquatch. Sasquatch. So sassy. There's a, there's a coffee mug out there, and it's got a sassy Sasquatch on it, and it's very cool. I like it. Anyway. <laughs> it, it is exactly that but yeah i don't know these uh reading up on all of these people we're going to cover today a lot of them sounded really gosh there's like the criteria is like just the same and I, I know you touched on that you know what is a missing 411 case it has to meet the this criteria but it's just like I mean, you wouldn't expect so many people from so many different areas to kind of just disappear like that right? and never be found again. It's just like, it's, it's creepy. It's really creepy. It's even creepier for me because I plan on going to, you know, explore the national forests in California while I'm living here for who knows how long because of military orders. And it's like, I don't want to be a missing 411 case, you know? (laughs) Well, then don't go alone and don't leave your group. Shoot, some of these people didn't go alone, (laughs) you know? A lot of them didn't. But they left left the group. Or they were taken. Snatched up. Snatched up by the aliens. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not not the theory either. I know what you're trying to do. I see you. Yeah. Yeah. All that butt probing. Ooh. Yeah. Get in, we're going probing. We're doing <laughs> butt stuff. <laughs> That's right. 
But yeah, no, you know, it's it's really interesting. It's really kind of kind of freaky because it's just like it because it makes me wonder, right? I may not uh, play into the idea of aliens and ghosts and things like that, or you know, interdimensional like wormholes and stuff. But the fact is that these are still real people, and they still really vanish. And wherever they're at, whether they're dead or alive. I don't want to end up like that, right. you know. And some of the the people we're going to talk talk about are we're really familiar with that area. It's mm-hmm. not like they just got lost because they were out of state residents, and they're like, "Let's go explore," and they got turned around. They knew where they were at. They had explored that area by themselves. There's no reason why this should have happened. Yeah, and yet they're still gone. And I know a lot of people may listen to this and be like, "You're talking about a national forest, dude." Uh, Anybody can get lost. The The fact is, is that you need to listen to the stories. Um, some of these literally do not have explanations. And th- during our last episode on the National Park Mysteries, we did the Adirondack uh, cluster up in New York. And there was one, I can't remember the name of the gentleman, but the older gentleman that was sitting on the rock. Um, and he was with, with his hunting partners, his son, uh, a couple other younger guys and then the, the four older men. That story just boggles my mind, dude. Like I really wish I knew what happened to him uh, because it, in the eyes of a layman, that should not have happened. Right. But he should have came home that night. Um, and another one that should have came home is the one that we're going to get into right now. It's kind of the, the, the bigger case between the ones that we're going to talk about. And again, we're going to do another two-part series here, and we're going to talk about this one on this episode. And you know, th- I'm expecting this one to go pretty long, so the other stories are going to happen on part two and in the bottom. Uh, everyone ready to jump into the first case? Yep. CJ, what about you, bud? Yeah. No, that yeah, the actual honest to god truth is, I'm not super duper familiar with the individual stories of these people. Like I said, I just looked up their circumstances. And the the how they disappeared, and not necessarily their individual details. So, um, like at them as a person, right? Yeah. So, uh, I'm kind of waiting to hear the stories. Mm. Cool. Well, I hope that after you hear the stories, that your whole plan falls apart, CJ. Yeah, and that you can't. Oh, wait, well, I, know, I know enough. <laughs> I know enough about the stories that the plan <laughs> is solid. Okay. All right, so let's They're dive all in. People, so they all blended into the snow. That's why they weren't found. <laughs> I know what you're trying to do. Keep this in. <laughs> all right, so the first case that we're going to talk about is Mel Nadell. This is the most popular case to come out of uh, the Santa Fe National Forest. So Mel Nadell, I'm going to get a little background on him. He is a business owner of a Pilates gym and was in very good shape. Um, he was born in Brooklyn, New York, and practiced martial arts until his disappearance. Uh, the disappearance of Mel Nadell takes place on Elk Mountain, just north of Picos, New Mexico. Again, you're going to hear that Picos town quite a bit. Uh, between Picos and Santa Fe, that's where the whole Santa Fe cluster really takes place. Picos plays a huge role. Um, but Mel arrived at Elk Mountain at 4 p.m. to go hunting with his brother-in-law and a friend from work named Joe Munez. Uh, so there's three guys. By the time that Mel arrived, the other two men had already set up camp. The group of hunters had plans to hunt that evening and began their hunting trip at 4.30 p.m. that evening. The plan was for Mel to stay close to camp and hunker down in a group of trees and make a blind only 100 to 150 yards away from camp. The other two hunters were to go on a much longer hike towards the peak of Elk Mountain to do their hunting. When the other two hunters came back to camp just after nightfall at around 7 p.m., Mel was nowhere to be found. His Jeep was still parked right outside of camp. The other men men began firing three shots into the air to signal distress or signal to Mel their whereabouts just in case he was lost. Soon, another hunter arrived and he had a satellite phone and the men called in the disappearance of Mel Nadell. Mel's hunting partners and authorities thought that if Mel was lost in the woods, that he would eventually prevail and find his way out. Elk Mountain was not a very remote area, 
and the city lights of Santa Fe were only about 13 miles away and could be seen very easily in the distance from their location and many other locations around. They felt confident that he would survive to, due to him being properly dressed for the weather, which was mild at the time. His experience in the wilderness of the area, the terrain was not that difficult in the area, and he was armed with a bow, hunting knife, and a sidearm. Search and rescue responded with dozens of ground searchers, two helicopters, and multiple dog search teams. The crew tracked his footprints and scent path going in the direction of where Mel said he was going to be. The footprint trail stopped suddenly, and at the exact location that the footprints disappeared, the dogs that were being used to track his path became very confused and even aggressive. It was as if he simply flew away. Nothing was found. No clothing, backpack, bow, gun, or anything of Mel's was found. No signs of distress from an attack by another person or animal was present. No blood, disturbed vegetation, or ground marks were there to tell the story of what happened to Mel. The official search for Mel lasted six days in total, only stopping when a storm ripped through the Picos on September 9th, but resumed immediately the next day. The search for Mel was one of the largest in the history of New Mexico. Hundreds of people, vehicles, search dogs, and helicopters were used to search for Mel. To this day, not a single article of clothing or any piece of evidence or a body has been found in the case of Mel Liddell. So what do you guys think? Hey, everybody. Bear with us while we take this quick break. What's up, everybody? This is Jeff from the Shadowband Podcast, where we challenge conventional thoughts and overruling dogmas from ancient discoveries tucked away by the Smithsonian to modern genetic manipulation carried out and funded by the world's elite ruling class. Nothing is too taboo as we search for lost, hidden, and suppressed truths about the nature of our reality. Find the Shadowband Podcast on all platforms or visit shadowbandpodcast.com to join in on the fun. Now, back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole Podcast. Out of all four of the cases that uh, we're going to review on this episode, I think this one is probably the most bizarre because he was so close to camp. Yeah, he was only 100 yards away. Right. He should have been able to just, like, look over and be like, oh, there's the campfire. There's the Jeep. Um, You know, and sitting in a blind, like, you're that close. It, it, it is very strange that you could just up and get lost 100 yards. Like, we have, like, a psychotic episode, and, you know, maybe he found what he thought was a berry and ate it, right? No? Well, the the thing that's weird is, like, this dude's footprints like the the disruption in the vegetation are uh in his pathway to the place where he was going to build the blind literally just ended mm-hmm. like like okay so one of the the theories right and I'll, I'll, I'll retouch back on it when i go to my little spiel uh is that mel like one of the only ways that this could happen where it doesn't involve like any form of supernatural or extraterrestrials is that he had to have walked backwards through his footsteps perfectly laying the the heel of his foot back and making the footprints look like they're moving in a forward progression like he had to step backwards perfectly and then like turn around when he when he got into like some some vegetation that wasn't going to be messed up by his by his trackways and jump in a car with somebody away from the camp and move on and start a whole new life somewhere i have like, a significantly way more reasonable explanation for all that way well that does not involve him like perfectly walking in his own footsteps uh, oh it's coming it's gonna be good i can't wait I can't wait. I hope it's really good. I hope you're not making everybody listen to two episodes of this just to hear your stupid shit. I hope it's... You know, hold on. Let's go over something. That is not beneath me to do, okay? But 
<laughs> no, I, pro- I promise you that this is this is good. This is good, and the evidence mounts. The evidence mounts. Well, good, good. So let's uh, let me let me talk about some of the uh, the most common theories about what ha- actually happened in Mel Nadell, right? Uh, one of them is what if Mel shot an animal and wandered after it tracked down and got lost? Okay, but why did his trail end uh, before the hunting blind? And why were the dogs unable to track him any further? His trail would have continued, right? Especially to tracking dogs. Uh, right. Another one is one of the most accepted theories is that Mel may have purposely backtracked his, in his own footprints to flee and begin a new life away from his family. But everyone that knew Mel said that he was a very proud family man. He loved his wife and his child, uh, and he would never have done that. He owned a business, a successful business, with, and he was in zero debt and did not have any known enemies. His bank accounts were never touched and never had an attempt to access them after his disappearance. So his bank account, his bank accounts were full. Like they mm-hmm. had a good chunk of money in them. I don't know the exact amount, but somebody had said in the thousands. Uh, and there was never even an attempt to access his bank accounts as like a lot of people that would start new lives would do. The other thing with that theory though, is like when you look at double stepping in your footprints, like delay, have you ever tried to walk in your own footprints, like in the snow? It's yeah. like, possible. Right. Like you can <laughs> tell, you can tell that that spot was stepped in twice. Oh, Let yeah. alone, he's did this for 150 yards. Bro, you're not doing that for three steps. It's bullshit. There's no it way. Would take him, it would take him hours and hours and hours, and by then his people would have been back and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. <laughs> get, get in the fucking blind. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're staying out there tonight. Anyways, <laughs> uh, another popular uh, theory is that he was attacked by a wild animal. Uh, those who investigated the scene uh, I've read a couple different counts of investigators actually at the scene say that there's no way uh, there was no damage to the trail or his camp. Uh, there were no signs of an attack at all in any form. Is there it. no way, though? Is, is there a no. Thunderbird in that area? Where's the Thunderbird from? Oh, is that what you're going to get to, CJ? Well, let's let's say that uh, CJ, <laughs> let's say that CJ started his theory by investigating cryptids in the New Mexico area. Is the Thunderbird from New Mexico? No, Thunderbird's from the all over Pen- North America. Pennsylvania is really prominent, prominent in it's everywhere, e- dude. East you, Coast you, stuff and yeah, you, and, but you can't you can't pinpoint it to a certain spot in the you see a large bird of prey swooping out of the trees and picking them up and carrying them off. But that'd be fantastic, be. like a dragon-sized bird. Just dude, I cannot wait until we can do a Thunderbird episode. I have so many awesome theories about Thunderbirds. Um, pterodactyl. Yes. Anyway. Yes. One hundred percent. I agree. Okay. It was aliens. Anyways, um, in a case that makes no sense, using known and comfortable theories, we are left to look at the unknown for possible answers in the disappearance of Mel Nadell. Was he abducted by a UFO or aliens? Did he simply? step through a portal to another dimension or parallel world? What are your thoughts? Before we get to that, let's go over the profile points that Mel, the Mel Nadell case hits, the profile points that we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Really quick, the theory about the uh, interdimensional portals, right? Mm-hmm. If we think back to a previous episode that we recorded when I tried to convince Jake that Sasquatches were in, in interdimensional uh, beings that have the ability to alter their vibrations to exist on our plane. He scoffed at me, so I would not go with that theory. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, there is that's like saying koalas are actually fish. They just live in the trees, so that no one will suspect it. It's ridiculous. Well, see, that, that's <laughs> <laughs> You're such a dick. <laughs> a terrible, I, I, terrible I, example, but it it hits all the points for me that that's a ridiculous, uh, <laughs> ridiculous idea. It's an animal, like everything else. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, anyways, CJ, you should you should get a. Uh, there's these two books. They're called Where the Footprints End. It's a. It's the whole. It's by these two authors and the the whole series is dedicated to the idea that 
Bigfoot could be interdimensional or uh, birth from witchcraft and, and stuff like that, like the obscure ideas. While I'm open to the idea of Bigfoot being interdimensional, I'm actually on Jake's side that it's not actually true. I agree. 100%. Yeah, I convinced him. <laughs> I've won. <laughs> All right. So the the profile points, common factors uh, to other missing 401 cases, it hits six out of the 11. Uh, there's a point of separation, the right time of day. It's late in the afternoon. Uh, there was a weather event during the the search. Um, now, one thing that I didn't mention that I actually had to find out was that he actually had a sprained or torn ligament in his foot. Mm-hmm. That's why he didn't go on a long hunt. He actually was, um, the reason why he wanted to stay so close is because he couldn't make it out there physically. So he did have a disability. Uh, canines couldn't track, and it took place in a geographical cluster. Uh, so that's six. The only ones that it didn't hit on were that it wasn't near Boulder Fields. There was no water near it. Uh, he was not found in a in an area previously searched. Obviously, uh, there was no missing clothing because no clothing was found, mm-hmm. and we can't necessarily say that it's an unknown cause of death because he could still be alive. Uh, we don't know he's dead, so uh, that's that's pretty much what I got on Mel Nadell. What do you guys got? So, a couple things from this article. It's the southeastern outdoors.com for one he says that he did have a family history of heart problems both his mother and his father had died of heart attacks um and also that he had gotten lost years before this before he went missing he had gotten lost and had to fire a bunch of shots and then his buddies found him and from that point on, he hunted with a, a GPS so he wouldn't get lost. Um, but that was found locked in his truck. Right. So the idea that he could have gotten lost is plausible if the footprints didn't stop. And the idea that he had a heart attack is plausible if, because he, I mean, I knew a guy that was 24 years old that had a massive heart attack. He didn't die from it, but he almost did. Um, especially the complications from it because he fell down a set of concrete stairs and, and broke his head open and stuff. And thank goodness some drunk guy walked up next to him and called the police. But he, uh, like, it, a heart attack can happen to you at any point, really. You know, if you have family history of it, you know, whatever, you could be a really healthy guy and still have a massive heart attack. That's kind of like with the silent killer that gets a lot of people. And But that even still, his body would be there. Or if anything, you know, the idea that, a wild animal then consumed his body, which is a horrible thought, but it certainly happens. The hunting dogs wouldn't have had nothing to go off of because there'd be pieces of clothing there. There would be the body being dragged somewhere that, you know, there would be something recoverable from it. So the fact that his tracks or his footprints just stop and that's it leaves me scratching my head. And it's just like, well, if he didn't continue on the ground, then he, did he go up? You know, that's a serious question, though, right? Because unless it was like in the case of the area that he was walking, say that it was dirt or it was mud or something that left a significant footprint, and then he got into an area where it, there was pine needles on the ground and stuff like that, and there wasn't so much of a footprint. Okay, that's understandable, but I would think that the article would mention that that. You know, we lost the footprints because the undergrowth changed or we got into a wooded area where there was a lot of um, compressed uh, fallen needles or something like that. And we could no longer track those footprints, not that the article just states and then they stop like because that leads me to believe that there's something more to it, that it was distinguished footprints. And then where there should be more distinguished footprints, there just wasn't any. So where did he go? It's funny that you mentioned going up. Well, I mean, he didn't go under the ground. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and we found this hole in the ground and we we're like, eh, and then we walked off. Like, yeah, he can't be down there. And it's so confusing and it's so like, this shouldn't happen that, I mean, even his wife, I just stumbled upon something not too long ago. His wife 
still to this day saying that she still believes he's out there somewhere because there's it just makes no sense right there's there should be a reason a body should have been recovered his shoes should have been recovered something you know his clothing you know bones something like that should have been recovered and that's what's so creepy about these cases is that oftentimes you know even if they are recovered it's years later we find like like that kid that that child that went missing and his shoes were found and they didn't look like they had been in the woods for four years or whatever the time frame was right like they were perfectly clean and preserved and it's like all these cases have that eeriness to him of something that shouldn't happen so hopefully it's just something as easy as he walked backwards to trace his footprints and then decided to go live a new life somewhere because the alternative is that we have no freaking clue and that's frightening i have a clue (laughs) well you have a clue but you're unwilling to talk about it oh we are we are going to talk about it like i said it's funny that you mentioned going up that's raptured. the only way he could have went. That's the only way. He I'm pretty sure he, he did. I'm pretty sure he went up. Like into a helicopter? No. But that would be cool. Part of his business venture was also privately owned helicopters. Not sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a head scratcher well, for sure. You know, I, I just want to point out that there are there has been there has been other cases where this seems to be the thing, right? Where, um, I can't remember the name of the kid, but on the very first, first or second episode that we did for national park mysteries, there was a little boy who disappeared from his backyard. It was a farm or a bar or a a little, uh, cottage or something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, it literally seemed like he flew, and like all of a sudden in a field of snow, his little five-year-old footprints showed up for like seven steps and then disappeared again. That's and horrible then, to think about. Yeah. Oh, that but then he was found like two miles away in another field, face down in the oh, snow. Yeah. Yeah. Alive. Oh, good. At least he was alive. Yeah. Like, I mean, the the guy is still alive to this day. He doesn't remember any of it because he was the, so young. Shoes. Yeah. Yeah, he still has the shoes. Probably um, repress the memory. I mean, that's super, super traumatic, and that's something kids do. I mean, adults will do it, too, where something horrible like that happens, and your brain will just be like, we're not ever going to remember that. Yeah. that right. But so, like, during that episode, we did a deep dive into that. Like, we went into, we Googled uh, the birds that were around the area. We came mm-hmm. up with the eagle, right? The eagle being probably the strongest uh, bird around that area that could lift a, a, a child. Well, it turns out that the that eagle's max weight that it can carry isn't even like half the size of that child was. It's like uh, fifteen pounds or something. Yeah, and this kid was like forty or something, thirty five, forty pounds, and so it it doesn't necessarily make sense that it was an eagle. It would have to have been a cryptid or some kind of really weird shit going on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so this case kind of reminds me of that, you know, it's like, there has to be something in the skies and I am a believer. One of the few cryptids that I do actually really believe do exist and that we're, uh, I I think that they're mostly a a case of missing identity is the Thunderbird. Um, I I love Mothman too, man. Uh, I don't necessarily believe in Mothman. I think Mothman is a uh, case of missing identity as well. Um, But we'll get into that when we actually talk about Mothman. I don't want to piss off any Mothman haters out there. I love Mothman. That's my boy. Um, But definitely better than Owlman. Definitely better than Owlman. Um, But there's something strange going on that has to deal with people being lifted up off the ground. That's basically the case I'm trying to make is that a lot of these missing 401 cases are very similar to this, where the trail of somebody's path just ends and dogs don't know what to do, dude. Like dogs are dude. Their, their sense of smell is insane, right? They can track people like no other, like days after, even after rainstorms, they can still track 
But for them to just say, oh, he's gone. <laughs> they either got to go up or they got to go into another dimension. That's it. I, I don't have any other uh, explanations for that. Nothing else makes sense. Mm-hmm. Until CJ says I something that. the case. <laughs> I went oh, there. I'm, I'm pretty sure I did. You can call me Sherlock Holmes. Well, I'm gonna I'm, since we're near since I'm I'm guessing we're near the end of part one here. I'll leave you this. Um, what if he went up but didn't leave the area? Uh, you're definitely not gonna convince me. Oh, I am. <laughs> it's going down. It's mm-hmm. it's going down, and this is a completely realistic theory too. I promise you. You know he's not Chris Angel, right? Yeah. Okay. I told you sure. it has nothing to do with metaphysics. There is no magic involved. Okay. His his name is Mel Nadell, not Chris Angel. Okay. Okay. Very right, good. Just want to make sure. <laughs> and your um, name's Jeremy. Blaine, maybe. My name is irrelevant. Your name is what? Your name is who? My name is Chicka Chicka Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> um so yeah, that's uh that's pretty much all we got for the case of uh Mel Nadell. I know this was a short one and there's not a lot to really talk about here because it's so strange, right? You we can go through all of the the things that make sense. Bear attack, cougar attack, uh got lost and everything, but this case really does a good job at negating all of those. You're you close. Listen. Shut up. Um, but you listen to the investigators, right? And I, it, it just, it's hard to believe that some dude sitting in a spare room in Pennsylvania could come up with a better idea than an investigator. I don't know. Um, Not some dude. <laughs> the, the best thing that I could think about was that like a mountain lion got him and dragged him up into a tree and you're close maybe ate him maybe left him there but either way i would think if there was helicopters and stuff flying around i get it he's wearing camouflage and stuff and there's a search party but those people don't just stare at the ground when they're walking they look up they look around can you see clean to the top of a tree though every time you look up into one no but but there was helicopters in this, and they were equipped with FLIR. Right, oh, they yeah. use heat technology, but if something's dead bef- and gone cold before the FLIR gets out there... Yeah, but... The, okay, so how long does a dead body hold heat? Depends what eats it. <sighs> Look, all I'm, all I'm saying is, like, even now, there's still no evidence of him, and people have combed that area and combed that area and combed that area... Let's just talk about the really gross, nasty stuff. Human bodies decompose after a while, and limbs will start falling off, which means his shoes oh, would fall off his feet with his feet still inside of them. I think CJ is talking about him being poop now. Yeah, but his clothes wouldn't be poop. Not necessarily true. Have you mm. ever seen a cat eat stuff? Cats eat anything. Cats eat a license plate if, it, if they could get their mouth around it. Okay, so I just googled how long does a dead body hold heat? Um in cold temperatures, a dead body can become room temperature, meaning the temperature of the environment, um in 30 minutes to an hour. But in anything warmer than freezing, it can take uh up to 5 hours to become uh the temperature of the surrounding area. So okay, I'm on board then. I honestly thought it would take longer. Mm. I put a lot of time into this theory. A lot of time. Mm. But even still, wouldn't there be drag marks of being, being taken up? Because nope. the because cats don't just grab people and pull them upwards. Yes, they, they do. No, they don't. They go yes, after they people's like the backs of their necks and slam them on the ground and then and then drag them up trees as they climb backwards up it. They yeah, not like to mention down like us with our opposable thumbs and like grab people by their hair and pull them up. Not to mention there's a lot of pines and stuff in that area, and a lot of those limbs actually grow too too high up 
like the first set of limbs would be too high up uh for a cat to be able to grab somebody if it's in the limb and also not also uh articles of clothing would be torn off at, on its way up and you would see signs of that probably scattered around the ground i don't know it's it's a it's and that's the other thing that kind of freaks me out a little bit because i know right i know my luck i don't really believe in luck but i know how you know i get myself into bad predicaments and stuff and like i want to go hunting and stuff and i'm like yeah i can go hunting by myself but one of the areas that i want to go hunting at is really prevalent with mountain lions and i just know <laughs> that i'm going to be like looking i'm going to be sco- you know glassing the area looking through my binoculars and i'm just going to be like out of the just behind me i'm just gonna hear row and she's gonna come out of the woods at me you know and just take me out i know it's gonna happen the last thing you're gonna think the last thing you're gonna think is damn it jake you did it again yeah just wow and this is gonna come out at me you know insert mountain lion sound here you know it's gonna take me out or a black bear you know it's gonna be a mother with her cubs you know, and it's just going to just destroy me. And I'm like, dang, that bumper sticker that I have that says, go outside, worst case scenario, bear kills you is going to become true for me. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And so it's just like, yeah, it's a lot of creepiness. It's a lot of like, well, I don't want to end up disappeared or butt probed or eaten by a mountain lion or something like that. Because the reality is, is that it may be few and far in between, sure, but it still happens, right? Right. And you know what can I control? What could I? What could I die from here in my house versus you know out in the wilderness? But that's where all the cool stuff is. You know? All right, well, let's do let's, it. Uh, let's go ahead and close this one up, and we'll head on over to part two. The the bottom of the hole. We'll have to wait one more week. Those that are uh, paying patrons of of the show, uh, uh, when the next week's episode is released or whenever it's released a week early, if you're one of the second or third tier members, you will get the bottom of the hole week early as well. Um, that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed the story of Mel and Adele. I know that there wasn't a lot to talk about. I just wanted to take the time to talk about this particular case because of how strange it is. And I just want to stress that we have two more cases for next week and we have one possibly two, uh, another shorter case for the bottom of the hole. Until next week, when we see you for National Park Mysteries Part 5, Santa Fe Part 2. We'll see you. That's it. That's it. That's, that's awkward. But yeah, that's it. That's it. Bye. 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 That's it. Bye. <laughs>